Thank you, everybody. It's so fun to be here today, Upper West Side. And man, the weather is so nice, isn't it? We drove through, I'm giving ourselves away. We took the Uber this morning instead of the train, but we were driving through Central Park and I'm like, okay, I get it. I get the allure of the Upper West Side. You know, it's definitely, uh, spring is a great, it's the promised land, apparently. This is what our community pastors here believe. So, uh, um, we'll go with it, you know, because in, in honor of them. No, I really do. I really, really do love this community and love the series that we're in. We're taking a, a deep dive into the life and ministry of Jesus through the series this month, Life and Death. And I believe that God has something really special to do in our hearts and to show us today. And I believe wherever you are in your journey of faith, God wants to speak to you. And that this is a safe place, a safe place for you to explore, explore faith, period, to grow in your faith, to have a deeper understanding of who God is and how he sees you and the kind of relationship that he died on the cross for you to have. This is a great place to be this morning. And I believe that we're going to leave here a bit different than when we came in, not because I have all the right answers here with the mic right now, but because the presence of God is here. And he's alive and he's speaking and he loves you. He loves me. He loves us. And he wants to meet us here in this place. Why don't we pray for that very thing before we jump into the message here this morning. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you're here. We thank you for your presence, God. We thank you for community that we could come together on a Sunday. And whatever our weeks have been like, whatever our days have been like, whatever we're struggling with, wrestling with, celebrating, whatever we're pondering in our heart, we can come together and we can read your word and it can be so much more than just motivational words. It can be life-transforming uh, um, words and, and a life-transformative space. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill this space and that we would not just talk about you, Jesus, but truly experience your character and your power here in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, about a, a year ago, I was walking home from the gym. It was in the morning, and I was running behind. I, I had to hurry up and get home, take a shower, get ready, go to work. I had a lot of meetings and a lot of things I had to get done for the day. And I was kind of on autopilot as I was walking home. It was a route that I'd taken so many times. You know, it's about 15-minute walk from my house to the gym and back. And you know those kind of uh, routines that you get in, right? Like the walk to the subway, different things. Like sometimes all of a sudden you're there and you're like, how did I get here? You know, because you just, you've done it so many times, it becomes like second nature. Well, that was my walk home uh, from the gym. And as I was walking, and it's, it's a busy time, everybody's on their way to work, um, I approached a cross walk and it was a busy intersection and uh, the the light was flashing the hand you know for the pedestrian flashing which for most people would say you you missed it wait your turn wait till it's time to go but for us pedestrians living in New York City it means you've still got time right so I, I kind of just sped my way in I power walked to like join the migration about 20 or 30 people that are crossing the crosswalk I've got my my um, airpods in and I'm listening to music and I'm just in the zone I'm trying to get home I'm thinking about everything I got to get done for the day and about a few few steps past the crosswalk. I'm now on the sidewalk. Suddenly it's like my autopilot went off and I became aware of my surroundings for the first time during that walk and something didn't feel right. And so I, I just paused and I turned around and this is when I realized that there was a man still 
in the crosswalk. Even though the light had changed and now the traffic was going, there was a man who was there. He was in a wheelchair. He was an older gentleman. And on the, the trek from one side of the crosswalk to the other, he had gotten his wind of his wheels stuck in a small little crevice in the, in the crosswalk, a little kind of like pothole that was perfect to get stuck in for him. And so he's there, and he's trying as hard as he can to get out of the situation, but he's stuck. And literally, there are cars swerving around him to make the light and keep going. And so I, I see this, and then I look around, and I see that he's not alone. It's not just me and him now in in the middle of this this neighborhood. There are a lot of people walking around. There are people who are looking at their phones. They're texting. They're listening. They're in their zone as well. They're talking to their neighbor. And there was a woman who was standing at the edge of the crosswalk waiting for her turn to cross the very crosswalk that this man is stuck in. And she's standing there with her phone like this. Literally, she could have probably looked up and reached out and touched the edge of his wheelchair. But here she was, like this. And so, of course, I, 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 I see this now. I'm like the person who's noticed this. And so I run into the crosswalk, and I say, hey, can I help you? He's like, yes, please. So I push him, and we get to the sidewalk. I properly introduce myself. I learn his name. He liked to go by um, the OG. That was his, his name that he, he liked to go by. And, um, and so we exchange names. And... Uh, and uh, I said, well, where are you headed today? And, and uh, he said he was on his way, actually, to the pharmacy because he'd just gotten out of the hospital, and he was in a lot of pain. He just needed some ibuprofen, so ibuprofen, so like a CVS or Dwayne Reed or something like that he needed to get to. And I said, you know what? We're headed in the same direction. I'm headed home, so do you mind if I join you? And he said, sure. And so I, I pushed him, and we talked for about 10 minutes on the way. Uh, I dropped him off where he needed to get, and then I, I found out in the 10-minute conversation that he was also homeless, and he was in between um, shelters. And so I ran upstairs and I kind of got some stuff, some odds and ends out of our fridge, which I wish we had more food in our fridge, but normally we don't. I was like, can I give him peanut butter? I don't know. So I was like trying to find things and uh, a couple water bottles. And I ran downstairs and I gave him um, a bag full of, of things. And he went about his day and we said goodbye. And as I went upstairs, and started getting ready for work. I definitely had to cancel a meeting, had to rearrange things. I didn't get everything done in my to-do list. But I'll tell you what, I was very aware of the fact that that was the best way I could have spent my morning. And I, can't, I couldn't help but keep thinking about the image that I saw when I turned around and I saw this man who was literally in danger. And I saw a woman who was so connected to her phone that she didn't see what was happening right in front of her. And I couldn't help but notice her, not with judgment, but with this awareness that's me. A lot of times in life, that's me. I bet more often than not, there are people with very real needs right in front of me, and I'm just completely missing it. I, I think that's not just me. I think that's most of us, right? I'm seeing heads nod in this room. I think that there's this awareness sometimes that we can get so preoccupied with our to-do and our agenda and our concerns that we simply fail to see the needs in front of us unintentionally. I, I, I really believe that woman didn't see him. I don't think how anybody really could not see that and want to try to help. I think she just didn't see. I think sometimes that's where we find ourselves, unintentionally missing opportunities to do good that are right in front of us because we're kind of in our own little zone. I think that's the case sometimes. And I think if we're being really honest, I think sometimes it's intentional. It is a choice to stay concerned and preoccupied with what we need and where we're going and what we need to do because, well, when we look at the brokenness of humanity long enough, not only does it cause us discomfort, 
not only does it force us to have to change our plans or agenda, and, and there's an inconvenience factor, but even more than that, the longer we look at the brokenness of humanity, it forces us to reconcile the brokenness within ourselves. It's like when we look at the hurting places of humanity and society around us, it's like a mirror and it exposes pieces of our hearts that perhaps we would want to remain hidden. There is this tendency when things get difficult, when things get really painful, when we see real need, real unfiltered need around us to want to run away. But Jesus didn't run away. Like most of us are in this room today because we're following Jesus, which simply means that, that we're always looking to Jesus, not just for inspiration, but as a model of how to live and to know the heart of God. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we can see time and time again that he didn't run from the needs of people around him, but he actually gravitated towards the needs of people and was there to meet them right where they were at. He, he, he saw needs around him. You know, Jesus didn't turn off the news because it was too depressing. He, he, didn't, he didn't isolate himself from certain pockets of society because they were too disturbing. He, he didn't choose to look the other way when he saw pain because it was too inconveniencing, too demanding, too taxing, too worrisome, too painful to engage with. No, quite the opposite. Last week, we began the series, didn't we, Life and Death, looking at the life and death and soon-to-be-resurrection, we'll get there Easter Sunday, of the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. And last week, we talked about the incarnation. Those of you who were here, it was a brilliant message, talking about what, what it really looked like for the divine to enter into the human equation so that we could be rescued. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Can we even imagine a greater representation of God choosing to not look away at the brokenness of humanity, but to run towards the brokenness of humanity? Humanity. From the very beginning, we understand that God has never been squirmish when it comes to our pain, that he's never been afraid of our pain. He's never been disturbed by our mess and wishing to disassociate from it. In fact, he put on skin. He wore the clothing of a man. He knew our struggles so that he could get in the middle of our mess and bring redemption. This is the Jesus that we serve. This is who he is. In fact, I think that if there's one word to describe accurately and probably sum up the ministry of Jesus most accurately, there's a lot of words we could use, right? We could use revolutionary, radical, confrontive, challenging, turning everything upside down, counterculture, and all of those things are very true, even powerful. Yes, but I think the greatest description we could give to the life and ministry of Jesus is simply this, compassion. Compassion. Everything Jesus did was motivated by compassion. His teaching, his ministry, his miracles, every moment, compassion. I mean, look at scripture. Matthew 14, 14 describes Jesus's ministry and it describes the motivation of Jesus's ministry. And it says, when Jesus landed, this is in the middle of his ministry. He's going from town to village, preaching the good news and healing the sick and casting out demons, uh, uh, announcing the arrival of God's kingdom. And this is how it's described. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So he saw the need and he went towards the need and he met the need. We see in Mark 6:34 a very similar story. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had once again what compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. 
the greatest motivator of all for Jesus, what compelled him to actually live as the son of God on fallen earth and compelled him all the way to the cross was deep compassion for humanity. Compassion. Everything Jesus did was motivated by compassion. And get this, his compassion was so powerful because he was the son of God, because he exerted all power and all authority. When Jesus was moved by compassion, it wasn't just a, oh, I hope you feel better. It wasn't just a pat on the back. It wasn't just a, man, I see you. It was radical transformation for those who were on the receiving end of Jesus's compassion. I mean, I mean look, at, look at some accounts here. Let's read Matthew 20, 30 through 34 together and see how Jesus's compassion really works in the life of people. So two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Notice that I shouted for effect, right? <laughs> the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. Now, see this. There's a couple miracles happening here, not just one. Jesus heals their physical need. They were blind, and now they see. But I want us to understand that there was another miracle taking place at the same time. These were two men that because of their limitation in the society that they lived in did not have the same benefits and the same opportunities as everybody else. They didn't get to dream. They didn't get to plan a career. They didn't get to think of legacy. In fact, they were told time and time again that the reason that they were blind is because somebody sinned. Either they sinned or their parents sinned, but it was a curse. It was something that they inherited which meant they deserved this, God gave it to them, and it put absolute limits on their lives. These men were never given a seat at the table. These men were never given a voice. They're used to crowds silencing them. They're not used to somebody silencing the crowd and saying, I wanna hear from you. And they're certainly not used to being asked the question, what do you want? Jesus did more than just give them back their sight. He redeemed their soul. He gave them back a sense of dignity and he offered them a seat at the table. He showed them the heart of God in a way that not just gave them sight, but transformed their entire lives. Let's look at Mark. Mark chapter 1, 40 through 42, tells another story of healing. And once again, we see the full power of Jesus' compassion on the earth. It says, a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Here we see it again. Moved with compassion. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing. Be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now, similar to these blind men, this man who has leprosy in this story, he's been told time and time again that there's a reason you have leprosy. It's a curse. It's a curse you inherited because somebody in your line sinned, made God really mad, or you did, and you're just not willing to fess up to it. Beyond that, 
and even more than these two blind men, because of his leprosy, this was a dangerous disease. It was deadly, and it would slowly kill you. You would slowly decompose physically, and it was very painful, and it was absolute isolation for you. Because people were so afraid of this disease, the moment you were diagnosed with leprosy, that was it. You didn't get to see your family, your friends anymore. You didn't get to live in the community you were part of. Now you get to join the other lepers in your own little colony while you all die together, slowly and painfully. You don't get touched. No one touches you because no one wants to catch what you have. So, of course, this man would say, if you are willing. Because his whole life, he's been told, as long as he's had this disease, that God gave it to him. So why would God be willing to take it away? It's a bold request he's making here because he doesn't even know the heart of God towards him. He's not certain of what we perhaps know to be true, the loving compassion of God. He doesn't yet know this. And Jesus not only changes this man's theology, once again, heals his heart with a touch. He does what no one has done for this man in perhaps years. Could you imagine going years without experiencing physical touch? But then one touch and everything in your life changes? Whew, this is the compassion of God. It doesn't just, oh, you have a problem, let me fix it. It heals the entire human heart and the entire human condition. This is the powerful compassion of Jesus. When we look at Luke 7, we see Jesus once again moved by compassion. He interrupts a funeral and everything changes. Soon afterward, verse 11 says, Jesus went to a town and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, oof, his heart went out to her. He saw her. She didn't see him. She didn't make any requests to Jesus. He saw her, and he went to her in her pain and in her grief. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. And isn't that the full expression of the compassionate power of Jesus? That people would say, oh, God is here, he's near, and he comes to help. This is what happens because Jesus was moved with compassion. And get this, he didn't just bring a dead man back to life, if that isn't miraculous enough. But what did he do? He resurrected a dead hope inside of a grieving woman with no options in her life. This is what the compassion of Jesus does. It doesn't just fix one problem, it takes care of it all. This is how powerful our Jesus is. You know, there's one other story I want us to read very quickly, and, and I imagine that we could actually read story after story here. I, I mean, we could just, let's, let's have a story fest and sit down. 
And let me tell you another account. Let me tell you another account. This is the beauty of reading God's word and reading the gospels is you get to discover for yourself who Jesus really is away from what you've been told and hearsay and maybe even what you learned in Sunday school. You get to discover for yourself just how good Jesus is, just how powerful he is and that he's alive and he's at work in the hearts of people and he's at work in you. This is what we get to discover when we read for ourselves the word of God. But in Matthew chapter 15, we see once again, Jesus moved with compassion. And this time he doesn't heal. He does something quite different. Since Jesus called his disciples to him and he said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. So they've been listening to Jesus for three days. Some of us are like, how long is she going to go? Three days, okay? Like this is, he's either a really great communicator or people just were, they were in it back in the day. They were in it for the long haul. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish. And when he'd given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And they, in turn, to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 men besides women and children. So get this, Jesus is meeting their spiritual needs and he's doing a really good job because people are sticking around for three days, okay? So like they're liking what they're hearing, okay? He's spiritually nourishing and this is what Jesus does in our life. Again, the power of being in environments like this where we can hear the Holy Spirit speak to us, we can discover who Jesus is from his word, from the teachings of Jesus. So they're in it and they're experiencing something already, but that's not enough for Jesus. He's not just gonna meet their spiritual needs. He recognizes the very real physical ones they have as well. And so out of his compassion, he goes, I know that I've spiritually fed these guys, but I want to do more. I want to show them the full extent of my compassion and the full extent of the heart of God the Father. So I'm going to make sure you get a hearty meal before you leave. I mean, this is the extent of the compassion Jesus has. He's compassionate. Everything Jesus did was motivated by compassion. Every sermon he taught, every confrontation he had with religious mindsets, Every hour he spent with the disciples, every village, every town he went to, everything about Jesus's ministry was motivated and marked by his compassion. Even the tough things, even the hard things to say, it came from a place of wanting to reveal the heart of God to humanity, moved by compassion. This is Jesus's descriptor. This is what made his ministry separate from any other. His powerful displays were all motivated by compassion. So why is it that we can read these stories And we can lean in and we can feel good about them. And we can go, wow, yeah, he did that. And we can believe that he did that. We sang about Jesus' power, so we could believe it. We can read it and go, yeah, I believe this. I believe Jesus can raise somebody from the dead. I believe that Jesus can multiply food to feed thousands. I, I believe that he could give sight back to the blind. I can believe all of that. We could see the full measure of just how powerful God's compassion is. We read it and we believe it, but when it comes to us and our own lives, We question, we question the full extent of just how powerful Jesus's compassion is. So much easier to believe somebody else's story than it is God at work in our own. Why is that? What would keep us from actually believing that the same God who did all of this could have the same amount of powerful compassion for us? I mean, do we really believe that our sins or our flaws are so great that they're more powerful than what we just read about? Do we believe that we're so ordinary or average 
that we'd get lost in a crowd and Jesus would overlook us and bless the person next to us? I mean, have we had so many experiences with religion and legalism that we are confusing the true reality of a loving father with a false perception of this militant and unforgiving dictator? I mean, where does this come from? I do know this, that when you live in a fallen world, it's really easy over time to start to lower your expectations, right? But this idea of only taking a fraction of Jesus's compassion for yourself, it would be like being offered a million dollars and only taking 10 grand. Like the 10 grand is still a big deal and it's gonna make a difference in your life, but it will never do what a million dollars could. But we do this. It's weird, it's like almost like as an adult, have you ever noticed that it's like harder for adults to receive gifts than kids? Have you noticed that? Like, like you offer an adult a gift for no reason. Actually, this past week, somebody did this. They, they, they're a friend of mine, and they just saw something that they thought I'd like, and they gave it to me. And it's so weird, right? As adults, when we get offered a gift, we're like, oh, no, you couldn't. You shouldn't have. Really, you shouldn't. No, I didn't need this. I don't need anything. I'm good. Oh, wow. I hope you didn't spend too much. Oh, my. We even go, do you want me to open it now, or do you want me to open it later? Like, we're, it's so strange, Right? Kids don't do this, no, right? No, not at all. Kids are like ripping it open. They're grateful, but then they're like, anything else? You know what I mean? Like they, they just think, sweet, this is what I should get, you know? H have, you, have you ever tried to give an adult a compliment versus a little kid a compliment? So different. Try to give an adult a compliment, they're like, they're like wow, you know, that was, you did a really great job leading that meeting, that was amazing. Oh, no, it was nothing. It was nothing. It was, I mean, I, we, you know, it's, I have, we deflect. I have a great team. Like, they just, they do it all. They're amazing. I didn't, I mean, I just kind of just showed up. Like, you know, I just, it's easy. It's nothing. you nothing. You know, like, walk away, right? <laughs> but you tell a kid, hey, great job. Like, a little kid? At least a little kid who's grown up in a loving home? And I tell you, you like, wow, you were really smart. They'd be like, I know. <laughs> That's it. They just... Next, anything else? You know what I mean? They don't go, oh, you know, it's really, it's nothing. I mean, it's my parents send me to a good school. My teachers do a great job. My mom and dad read to me. Like, they've really, in, they put a value in me for education. They are the ones you should really be thanking. It was nothing. No. It's like, I know, I'm smart. Thanks. Yeah, next. You know, what else about me? Like, it's, it's like kids haven't lived long enough to know what we adults have grown to know that we're undeserving. And partly we would almost think, this would be the danger in our self-help world today, that the gospel message is that Jesus says, no, you are good enough. You are deserving. But that's not the gospel message. Jesus never shied away from our sin. He never ignored it. He called it. And he gave salvation anyway. And he gave redemption anyway. And he gave healing and hope anyway. In fact, when Jesus is being criticized about his ministry by the religious and who he's hanging out with, this is Jesus' response in Luke 5. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So she's like, yeah, I know they're sick. I know they're undeserving. I know they're flawed. I know they're broken. They are sinners. And I'm giving them the gift of my salvation anyway. And I'm giving them the gift of my power anyway. 
and I'm giving them the gift of freedom and deliverance and healing and hope anyway. So the next time you're like, oh, I don't know. I mean, God, I know you could do it for them, but I don't know about me. I'm not as deserving. I don't know. I mean, I couldn't even ask for that, God. Like, I know I have, I should be thankful for a lot. Like, I have a lot already, so I shouldn't be asking for you to, like, pay for rent for me this week. I shouldn't even be believing for a better job. I shouldn't even, be, you know, like, I, it, it's enough, God. Like, it's okay. Like, I, I don't need anything else from you because I know I'm not deserving. Well, listen, you're in good company. That's all of us. None of us are deserving of what Jesus offers us. None of us. That's what makes the gift all the greater. So instead of being like, when you wake up in the morning and you hear thoughts of accusations, I know what you did last night. I know what you're thinking about, what you're struggling with. I know you haven't read your Bible in a long time, even though you act like you did. You know, all this stuff, like we start thinking in our head about ourselves, and this is how we wake up with the list of wrongs, right? And then we're like, oh, yeah, God loves me, I guess. And we only take a fraction of his compassion. Instead, we can wake up and, and we can rip open the gift of salvation all over again. We can rip open the love of God that is so powerful. And we can actually believe. Okay, have you ever been on those people when they open a gift? They're like, just one second. They don't want to like ruin. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this again. You know, and they're like trying. You're like, it's going to be like five minutes until you open this gift, right? No. Like you rip it open and you relish the fact that God loves you. And you're like, you know what? This is a puzzle, so it's not all that exciting, but that's all I could wrap. Um, but it's, God's so much better than a puzzle, unless you really like puzzles like I do, and then that's pretty cool, you know. But like you rip open and you relish and you think to yourself when you're in financial need, listen, if Jesus could take a few fish and multiply it and some loaves to feed thousands and he's the one, it was his idea, they didn't ask, then I I can richly ask and know my God can provide. This is how he shows his compassion towards me. It doesn't matter how I got here. I know that I can get myself out as I trust in Jesus and I trust in his provision and I start to live by his teachings. So when you find yourself in a moment where you're overcome with grief and pain and loss, you could say, you know what? If Jesus saw the widow, she didn't come to him. He came to her and he met her in the middle of a funeral and he turned her story around. Then Jesus can meet me in my pain and he can turn my story around. It means the next time that we feel like we're silenced by life, the next time we feel like we don't have a voice and we're trying to figure it out and whether or not we should even be dreaming, we can remember if Jesus gave a voice to those two blind men, then he's given us a voice too and he's asking us, what do you want? Because he wants to meet us in those places. We can relish, we can live, we can treasure the compassionate nature of God every single day. But you see, the compassion that Jesus offers us it's a gift, yes, but it's something more. It's also a mandate. It's a way to live. Because as followers of Jesus, we don't just receive everything he gives. We model our lives after him. And the same power, the Holy Spirit, that was with Jesus is with us. And so we can live the way Jesus lived. Imperfect, yes, but we can follow after him. This is the beautiful part of being a follower of Jesus and sometimes the hard part, isn't it? Here's what I've noticed about compassion. If you look throughout scripture, and we read one of the verses earlier actually, but in Luke 14, or in Luke, in um, Matthew 14, 14, the New King James Version doesn't actually said that he looked at them with compassion. It says, moved with compassion. You see that phrase a lot, moved with compassion. So compassion is more than just an emotion. It's more than just a feeling. It's action. <laughs> And in fact, you, you cannot say that you have compassion unless you 
help somebody. Or it's not compassion. It might be a warm, fuzzy feeling. It might be empathy. It might be sympathy. But it is not compassion. Danny, will you come up for a minute? Let's explore compassion a little bit more this morning. Why not, right? Come on, let's give it up for Danny. So say Danny has not eaten all day, and say it's not Sunday and only 11, because that's not as severe. Say it's like Monday, and it's 7 o'clock, he's been working really hard, and he's really hungry, hasn't eaten all day. It's really sad. We don't know why. We don't have time to go into his backstory, but just know he's really hungry. And his favorite thing to eat are are baked Lay's, 65% less fat than regular potato chips, barbecue flavored. This is, he loves this. He craves this often. It's his favorite. And he sees me, and I'm eating. Remember chips, you know? Not very gracefully, but I'm eating them. And um, he mentions to me that he's hungry, and that he hasn't eaten all day, and that this is his favorite. So if I were to be like, man, Danny, I want you to know I see you. I see you. God sees you. And I see you. And um, I want you to know that, like, I feel, I feel compassion for you. Um, I feel you, man. I feel you. Okay? Or what if I were to go, you know what, Danny? This is a real problem in the world today. You represent many. And I'm really glad that we talked today. And actually, can you come in? We're going to take a selfie. No, no, look hungry, please. Emphasize that. Take it. Okay, cool. I just got to post about this because people need to know this is an issue and they're not paying attention to this. And this, we need to address this. People need to know. I'm going to create a couple hashtags about it. Um, Danny needs Lay's potato chips um, would be another one that would really trend right now. Um, hunger is a real need even in... Upper West Side. Upper West Side is the hungry side. I don't know. We'll work on it. Um, okay. We're doing good together. Together with our selfie, my selfie, we're going to change the world. Um, okay. What if I were to be like, you know, Jenny, that's horrible. I'm sorry you're so hungry. I really am. Let's pray. I'm going to pray with you right now. Come here. Let's pray. Come here. I'm going to pray for you. You can join in. Yeah, yeah, just come, because I need to be close to these chips. I'm hungry. Um, Father, I just pray that you would bless Danny right now. I pray, God, that you would bring somebody in his path. God, we supernaturally, divinely open a door. Bring the right person right now who has exactly what he wants. The baked Lay's barbecue, 65% less fat than regular potato chips. Chips, Jesus, richly provide. Open the windows of heaven over him. He's a tither. You can do it. Make it happen in Jesus' name. Amen. It's going to happen, man. This prayer request is going to turn into a praise report, and we're going to be celebrating it really soon. Right? Okay. None of that is compassion. You know what is compassion? Here you go, man. Enjoy. They do smell good. Enjoy. You can be snacking away. It's, it's not weird. It's a movie theater. We're laughing, but let's be real. Let's not be fooled into thinking that sentiment is compassion. Action 
is compassion. And does it take work? Absolutely. Is it uncomfortable? At times, yes. Some moments of compassion don't actually cost us that much. Others do. That day with OG didn't actually cost me that much. It, it inconvenienced my day a little. But the world is bigger than my one day. But other acts of compassion cost a lot more. Like committing to being with the person through their long cancer journey and keep showing up to the radiation treatments and keep showing up and giving them meals. That's a different kind of cost. Or to commit to serving through Liberty City on an ongoing basis a real need because you see humanity that isn't easy to solve the problems. And, and that's difficult for us, isn't it? And to be clear, our role in exercising compassion on the earth is not to fix people's problems. It's just to love people like Jesus loves people. I think we have a problem sometimes, and it's more, to be frank, I think in like the modern evangelical Western world approach towards compassion where we kind of get a little bit confused about who the Savior is. And we get a little bit of our own Savior complex. Dun -da -da -da, I will come in, I have the answer. No, we just have Jesus. And we have his character. And if there's a need, we want to meet it. But ultimately, our compassion is supposed to just point people to him, who is the one who actually can fully meet the human need way more than we can. But we will do our part to, to show them to reveal the heart of God. And we can do that every day. Every day. Samuel Chadwick says this, compassion costs. It is easy enough to argue, criticize, and condemn, but redemption is costly. And comfort draws from the deep. Brains can argue, but it takes heart to comfort. Perhaps that's what Jesus is calling us to. A little bit more heart. To, dis to experience the heart of God. Not just a fraction of his compassion, but the full measure of his heart. And then to practice loving like he loves. To give a little more heart to the world around us. I'm going to end with one other story really quickly, and then we're going to pray. We're going to worship God some more. It's been fun. We've opened up presents, ate some chips. It's been a good time. But I do want to invite the team to come up here. I think the point that is worth making before we end our time together is that compassion does cost, but it is worth it. And sometimes we never actually know the full effect of an act of compassion because it, it opens somebody's heart to have an experience, not with us anymore, but with God. And we don't know that exchange. And we don't know the change that that makes in somebody's heart. I became a Christian when I was 12. Some of you know my story. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. We're all believers now in our family. And God's done a miracle work in my family because we started a hot mess in a lot of different ways. But my father was an alcoholic for a really long time. He stopped drinking, and we kind of thought that that's where all of his problems were. But there was still a lot of issues in the home. He became what the term is like a dry drunk, so still angry, still a lot of pain and dysfunction in our home. I became a Christian when I was 12, and I started praying every day for my family, every day. I was like, God, you're going to do a miracle. You could do it. You could do everything. I'm reading the Bible. I'm reading these stories we talked about. I'm like, God, you can change anybody's story, so you can change my family. So I'm praying every day. But I felt like things weren't getting better. They were getting worse in my home. And after about a year of that and feeling so completely alone, I remember one morning having a prayer with God. I was in middle school, and I prayed, okay, God, you know what? I've tried. Every day I've tried. And it's, nothing's working. So I'm done. I'm done. I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. I'm done. 
I don't think you say what you say you're gonna do. I don't think you do it. You're not good. I, I believe in you, but I actually don't think you're all that for me. This is like my 12-year-old conversation with God, so I'm done. And so I remember going to school that day and getting a report card, and I was like a straight-A student. That meant a lot to me. And, um, I don't know, still kind of does, I guess, but whatever. Uh, we all have our flaws. Because the straight-A students sometimes can get a little annoying, let's be real, so that's me sometimes. But um, I... I didn't get an A on something, and it was for conduct. I got like a two instead of a one, because she said I talked too much in class, which is accurate, but I was angry. So I said, I'm gonna fight this, and it was almost like this thing, like I needed to have one thing go well in my life, like nothing good was happening at home, and I needed to be able to control the situation. And so I remember seeing that two and going, no, maybe God doesn't hear me, but this is it. I'm gonna take control. So during lunch, as a sixth grader, I marched up to my teacher, in the middle of lunch, you know, she's like, what are you doing? And I said, I started arguing. I think I deserve a one, not a two. This isn't fair. I'm a good student. You know I'm a good student. You know I do a good job. And um, she just listened to me. What I didn't realize at the time fully was that she was a believer. She was a Christian. And she felt really led. She prayed about it and actually switched schools that year and felt like she was supposed to be teaching sixth grade at my school. And so she's sitting there listening to me. And I never told her anything. I never told anybody anything that was going on in my home. That's just something you didn't do. And she, instead of having any sort of argument with me, she just said, hey, Nicole, I just want to pray for you right now. Can I pray for you? That's not what I was expecting. And I remember saying, okay, sure, whatever. She started praying for me. And when she started praying, it's like she knew what was going on in my home. How she could have known, I have no idea. And I'll tell you what happened after that prayer. My grade was still the same, which was not fun. <laughs> my house was still the same, <laughs> even more not fun. But God met me in that space. And I knew that if that woman could pray things that only God and I knew, that even though I said I was done with God, God was not done with me. And that he would never leave me, ever. And that was the last time I ever prayed a prayer like that. I never said to God, I'm done again. Because I was, it was really a tangible moment between me and God. But you know what? That moment only came about because Mrs. Budak chose to be compassionate. She didn't just act like a frustrated teacher annoyed by another kid. She took a moment to see somebody, to see somebody and to really respond and show them for a moment the heart of God. So I say that to say, we never really fully know the effect of just a simple act of compassion. Heaven knows, God knows, and it'll be felt in the lives of other people. Why don't we pray? Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you are a God of ultimate compassion, that you see us, that you love us. Jesus, if we wanna see the, the really, the full example of compassion, we need to look no further than you. You're compassionate towards us, oh God. And so in this moment, we receive your compassion. We thank you that what you did in the Bible with humanity, you're still doing on the earth and you love us and you wanna show us the full extent of your compassion. So we bring all of us to you. Every need we have, we bring to you. Every part of us that's messy right now, we bring to you and we trust you. And for those of us in this room right now, God, who are just so like, all of us, I think are a little bit stirred towards what can we do this week 
to show compassion. I pray, Father, that you'd show us that person this week, that we would have eyes to see, that we would practice compassion, that we wouldn't leave and think, wow, that was a, that was a good thought on compassion, but we would put it into action. So give us an opportunity this week, if it's just one person that we can love, the way that you love them, God, and show them a glimpse of your love through just simple acts of help and serving and support. We open our heart to that, God, right now, and we say, may it be done, may miracles be done in our midst because we just choose to practice compassion. And if there's anybody in this room right now while we're praying who'd say, you know what, I don't, I don't feel close to God right now. I know that my heart is far from God. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home, maybe you didn't, but you'd say in all honesty, I don't have a real relationship with Jesus right now. Maybe you grew up in a home where you thought that God was judging you or angry with you or disappointed in you. And here you are in an environment where you're hearing about the compassion of God. And that's not an accident. God wants you to know that he loves you, that he has a plan for your life, and that he wants to show you the full extent of his compassion, that he sees you and that he loves you. And if today is the day that you want to get your heart right with God and you want to make a decision to place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and truly experience the transforming compassion and power of God at work in your life, and if you want to know, and you want to know, you want to know with certainty that God has eternal life for you, then I want to just lead you in a simple prayer because that's how simple it is. It's just actually praying and asking God to be Lord and Savior. That's how the journey begins of following Jesus. So if that's you in this room, then will you just on the count of three, wave your hand at me. And all I want to do is pray for you very quickly, but I do want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I do want to pray. So if that's you, one, two, three, go ahead and, and wave at me. Put your hand up so I can see it. So I know who I'm praying for in this room. You say, you know what? This was for me today. I needed to be reassured of God's compassion for me. And I'm choosing to follow him. If there's anybody in this room. I cannot actually see back there, but that's beautiful. All right, well, let's pray together.